We're going to start today at the end of chapter 6, actually, before we jump into Revelation 7. We're going to start our study of chapter 7 today by looking at the immediate preceding context of chapter 6 to sort of see the flow of what's going on here in John's vision of Revelation. It's important to always remember that Scripture comes out of a context. It comes to us with a context, and nothing stands by itself. So Revelation 7, where we're studying today, comes on the heels of a big question in Revelation 6. I want you to read Revelation 6, verses 12 through 17 with me. Uh, This sort of sets up where we're going today in Revelation 7. So read along with me, Revelation 6, verses 12 through 17. It says, When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became as a sackcloth, the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. This is John remembering in his mind Old Testament things that speak of the end of time, and he's taking these images that he has seen in a vision and putting them through that context here in these verses. Verse, uh, sorry, verse 14. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him who was seated on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And here's the question that leads into chapter 7 today. And who can stand? Who can stand? They're asking this question about who can stand the judgment of God when he comes in full power. And of course, the answer is no one. No one, comma, but. No one but those servants of God who are in chapter 7 today sealed the servants of God who are sealed or protected from God's wrath. So let's go ahead and look at the answer to this question. We're going to read all of chapter 7 and then go back and uh, look at some details verse by verse there. Chapter 7, verses 1 through 17. I want you to follow along with me because here's the answer to that question of who can stand. Verse 1. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000, sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed. 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben. 12,000 from the tribe of Gad. 12,000 from the tribe of Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin. We'll just go ahead and read it that way. <laughs> Jump ahead here to verse 9. After this I looked, and behold... A great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and end to the Lamb. 
And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Verse 13. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Jump back to verse 1. This begins this first section. There are eight verses in the first section, and then 9 through 17 is the second section here. This first section, which is uh, notified there, in your, which is noted in your study notes, uh, says this, Revelation 7, 1 through 8 explains how believers are sealed, and we'll look at what that word sealed means in a bit, explains how believers are sealed so that they can persevere through the first four tribulations in chapter 6. These first eight verses deal with the first four horsemen. We'll talk about that here in a second. If you'll remember from last week, we looked at the first six of seven seals, and the first four seals that were opened there in chapter six brought the judgment that are carried out, the judgments that are carried out by the four horsemen, each one a different color. So these first eight verses in chapter seven, they show how believers persevere through that judgment that has already begun and that will be finished someday. In other words, remember we've been saying that Revelation is both already and not yet it has begun but it has not yet been finished so judgment has begun insofar as we all already bear with the consequences of sin as pictured in the vision of chapter six let me say that again we all already bear with the consequences of sin not fully because we cannot only the lamb can but we already bear with the consequences of sin as pictured in the vision in chapter 6, which includes the destruction of the first heaven and earth at the end of chapter 6 that we just read. So, tribulation isn't something that starts when the end times finally, actually, really happen someday in the future. There are those who believe that. I do not. Tribulation, I believe... And we'll see this a little bit today. We saw it a little bit last week. We've seen it a couple other times. And we'll continue to see it further out in Revelation. Tribulation has been happening for Christians since the coming of Christ and for humanity ever since the coming of sin into the world in the garden. Because tribulation's not something now because God's war against sin isn't suddenly new. And it's not something then, because God's war against sin isn't going to do something different then that it hasn't already until he consummates his work. We'll get there later on. Tribulation is a word that wraps up all of the pain and the suffering that results from sin 
that humanity experiences when God's wrath is made known. And you may think, God's wrath, that's being made known someday down there in the future, right? Well, actually, Scripture tells us in numerous places, I'll just point out one, that the wrath of God is already being revealed against sin. We know that. We feel that. If you have the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your hearts, then you know you have felt some of the wrath of God against your own ungodliness, against your own unrighteousness. Romans 1, 18 says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So tribulation is what happens when God makes war against sin, against your sin and against my sin. And it isn't an arbitrary war against somebody else's sin only. And he's not waiting until someday, actually finally in the future day, to finally do something about sin that he hasn't already begun to do now. I know that sounds confusing, but that's what Revelation's like. The war against sin has already begun, will be finished, but it's already been started. Let me say it this way. God wants to make war against your sin now. Right now. He wants to make war against your sin right now if you will let him. If you will cooperate with him. It is a spiritual warfare concept. Tribulation is a spiritual warfare word that, don't miss this, you should already understand and feel in your bones if you know the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You should already know what spiritual suffering looks and feels like because you have already entered into the spiritual battle for souls. That's one of the the main things of Revelation that we'll see. You know tribulation if you are already engaged in a spiritual battle against sin in which you cooperate with God in that battle. Problem is, many of us Don't prepare for that battle. Many of us don't even know that we're in that battle now. Many of us are treating our lives already like there is no epic spiritual battle for our own souls, let alone anybody else's soul, going on. That's how we treat our lives. So one of my main prayers in Revelation has been for us to have our eyes opened to the spiritual war that goes on for souls. Many of us go through life preparing instead for a worldly success. Praying in the morning something like, Jesus, just help me make it through the day. How about praying to have the strength to make it as a warrior in the battle? Is that your prayer at the beginning of the day? Or are you not yet there? God wants you to be there. Revelation is begging you to see that that is the kind of prayer that we should pray when we're engaged in the same kind of battle that is going on for souls. Has Jesus already won a large part of the battle? He's won the battle insofar as we are able to be saved, but he has not totally finished. That's why it's already and it's not yet. I think Revelation, one of the messages of it is is 
saying, who, who among us is praying prayers that ask the Lord to be a shield in our lives because you're about to step into a battle zone when you go out the door in the mornings? How precious few of us have that kind of way of thinking about our lives. Revelation is for us a wake-up call to battle. And tribulation is already there for those willing to enter battle. And today, Revelation tells us how, how God protects and rewards those who are in that battle. Let's look at it, finally. <laughs> Verse 1. It says this. First two words, after this. After this. This does not give us a chronology of events, but it's simply a way for John to report what he saw next. This happens a number of times in Revelation. He says, after this, I saw... We already saw that two-word phrase after this at the beginning of chapter 4 in Revelation. And John takes it from Daniel 7 and Ezekiel 1. If you want to look those up later, those of you have taken notes. He takes that phrase from Daniel 7 and Ezekiel 1. It just means this is what I saw next. But when it's paired with that phrase, I saw and behold, or after this, I saw, when it's paired with that kind of idea of beholding and seeing something, it's a trigger to Old Testament readers that there's prophecy coming up. So, long story short, don't read more into after this as if it's giving us a chronology of something. It's just telling us what he saw next. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Clearly, the number four is important. Here, these four angels represent authority over the whole earth, meaning the four corners of the earth, north, south, east, and west. It refers to them holding back the elements. In this case, they're holding back the elements so that protection is the result. It says that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. This is a vision of protection. It's one of the key thoughts there if you're taking notes. Key thought here of protection. And uh, Bible, by the way, Bible nerds, these four angels who hold back four winds have the same Old Testament background as the four horsemen in Revelation 6. Uh, if you want for more information, Zechariah 6, 5 and its context. Uh, so the basic gist here is that this is a vision of protection that's going on here. And remember that we're asking the question to, uh, of who can stand to find out the answer here. So it says this, here's who, verse 2. I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. Now, this seal, by the way, here is the same idea as the seal that we just saw in chapters 5 and 6. It's a seal from a, a signet ring. And that ancient concept of, of a ring that, that makes a seal in wax as a verification, uh, especially for verifying special documents. Uh, this is the same concept, but instead of a document, it's applied to people. Uh, this, this time the sealing is verifying that the people are, are God's people, that they're the real thing. So here comes the angel with God's seal. He called out with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea. So he's calling to the angels who are holding back the winds, and he's saying, verse 3, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Uh, in Revelation 9, if you've been reading through Revelation, Revelation uh, once a week, 
you'll come across these locusts in Revelation 9 uh, whose torment, it says, is like the stings of a scorpion. They represent, uh, in Revelation 9, demonic spirits who are sent to torment, but they are told that they can harm only those who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. So this protection here in Revelation 7, this sealing is a symbol of God's protection. And we see it happen later on in Revelation, there in chapter 9. It's like an angel who's coming and saying, don't bring God's full wrath until we've gotten out all the servants of God. So what is the nature of this protection? That's a good question to which we could give many answers. What is the nature of the protection? Uh, Remember that Revelation is revealing the unseen spiritual war in which the church is engaged. And here in Revelation 7, when it refers to sealing God's servants, uh, this is certainly not protection from physical security. This is not protection from a physical security because uh, believers have been suffering physical persecution and pain for all of history as they followed Christ. But this is protection of the believer's faith and the promise of salvation from the sufferings and the persecutions that are inflicted on them by the evil one. This is a protection of the believer's faith and it's a promise of salvation from the various sufferings and persecutions that are inflicted on believers by the evil one this side of heaven. This is a quote that I've placed in your study notes that sort of encapsulates this idea. It says this, The sealing enables them to respond in faith to the trials through which they pass so that these trials become the very instruments by which they can even be strengthened in their faith. Really cool concept, like what we said last week. When you are identified with Christ, in other words, when the old man is dead, I heard somebody say this week that Christ died not so that we can live, which is true. He didn't die so we could live, he died so we could die. And he was raised so we could live. So, so when you are identified with Christ, the old man is gone, the new one has come, you are able to, like Christ, suffer redemptively. You are able to suffer redemptively. In other words, when you have an identification with Christ on His cross and in His resurrection, your tribulation is not for naught. Your suffering and your tribulation is not for naught. One of the main messages here. So who are the servants of God? Look at verses 4 through 8, which take us in an interesting direction here. The servants of God are described here. They'll be described again later on, but this is the first time. It says this, verses 4 to 8. This is John who's hearing it. And I heard the number of the sealed, the ones who are protected, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel, 12,000 from Judah, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin. All of these were the sealed, the the 144,000. And you look at this and you read this and you see listed the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 sons of Israel. In fact, the the heading in my Bible says the 144,000 of Israel sealed, uh, and yours may say, say something similar. So we make this assumption that this has got to be the 12 tribes of Israel because I just read all 12 of the tribes of Israel, right? (laughs) 
Well, actually, no. Uh, This is emphatically not just the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, Meaning that John is clearly seeing a vision that includes, but isn't exclusively, the Old Testament people of God. What he's seeing here in the 144,000 includes those who, as Jews, placed faith and trust in the Messiah, but it also does not exclude those who are not Jews. It includes, but isn't exclusively, the Old Testament people of God. In other words, I believe that it includes us, and uh, I'm going to tell you why. First, though, turn to Revelation 14, which helps us understand uh, these verses here a little bit. Revelation 14, 1 through 4, helps us understand these verses in chapter 7. Turn to Revelation 14, uh, 3, the third verse there in Revelation 14. In this passage in Revelation 14, uh, those who are standing with the Lamb, remember the question is who can stand? We're going to see that answered later on again. But this is those who are standing with the Lamb. Those who are standing with the Lamb are numbered at 144,000 and they have the Father's name written on their forehead, it tells us. And they're singing a new song in verse 3. And at the end of verse 3, it says this, No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. So anyone who can sing that new song in Revelation 14 is of the 144,000 who have been redeemed from the earth. Back to Revelation 7, there are more reasons to, to think that this is not just Israel. John sees this in Revelation 7 as a vision of an army of people with ranks and battalions of thousands as coming from the people of Israel, but also including others who are not listed among the original 12 tribes. Here are a few facts to consider in this list here. These are not the 12 tribes that inherited land in Joshua 14 and 15. Uh, in Canaan. These are not the same 12 listed there in Joshua 14 and 15. And these are not even the original 12 sons of Jacob that are listed in Genesis 35. This list is a little different than both of those, in fact. Uh, We know here that the tribe of Dan is excluded in this list, and that's one of the original. Uh, Manasseh is included, and he was an adopted grandson of Jacob, not one of Jacob's sons. Judah appears first in this list instead of Reuben, who was the firstborn. And the tribes that inherited land in Canaan, in, uh, in Joshua, are excluded, we know, because Dan is omitted, uh, Levi is included when he wasn't later and um, earlier, and Joseph is listed instead of Ephraim. There's a lot of information there that I'm not expecting you to get. <laughs> the point is this. There are clearly a few weird things going on in this list. But here's the basic gist, and I've included this in your study notes because it's a cool key point that's a little complicated to understand. It's that next quote which says this, When 7, 5 to 8 is compared with the list of Jacob's sons in Genesis 35, 23 through 26, the promotion of tribes descended from concubines Bilhah and Zilpah, in other words, Gad, Asher, and Naphtali, the promotion of those descended from Bilhah and Zilpah, over the sons of Leah and Rachel, suggests that, and here's the key concept, those once excluded from privilege are now included. Those who used to be excluded from the privilege as a part of the people of God are now included. 
which means that Gentiles get in. Which is a super cool thing about Scripture. Because when you look at the details, it continues to tell the redemptive story of God in all these various ways that you don't see on the face of it until you start to look at these numbers and realize that God knows what He's doing when He shows John a vision that tells us that Gentiles are included. Uh, A few other things. If this little passage here with these few verses about the 144,000, if it is to be interpreted with a strict literalism, then we'd all better pack it in because A, 99% of us are probably not Jewish and there are not genealogical records to go back to prove that we are. B, we're probably not one of the most deserving 144,000 in all of history. C, we'd all end up being Jehovah's Witnesses, which means that we'd be legalists and we'd misunderstand the Scriptures. Now, there are good reasons to make counter-arguments for why you can think this is just the people of Israel and not, and not the entire company of the redeemed. But I don't think that it is just Israel. I believe the best way to see this as the entire company of the redeemed. This 144,000 represents the true and spiritual Israel. That's a, that's, a, that's a key concept in the way that I read Revelation. This 144,000 represents the true and spiritual Israel, which certainly includes Jews who place their faith in the coming Messiah that they never met, but it also includes the Gentiles like us. So, a lot of complicated stuff there. But to summarize, the first eight verses of chapter 7 explain how believers are sealed, are protected, so that they can persevere through the first four tribulations, as it were, in chapter 6. Let's look at the second section here, verses 9 through 17. This is in your study notes as well. Verses 9 through 17 here reveal the heavenly reward for those who do persevere. This reveals the heavenly reward for those who do persevere. Remember, the question that we're answering is from Uh, verse 17 in chapter 6, who can stand? And here the answer is made even more explicit. Cool stuff here. Look at this. Verse 9 says, after this, there's that phrase again, after this, I looked and behold, that's a Bible tip off that that, that some prophecy or, or vision is coming. I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number. I think this is the same group we just read about that is represented by the 144,000. Uh, there are a bunch of nerdy reasons uh, about the numbers um, to, to, to believe that. Uh, one might be Revelation 21.16, if you want to look that up later. Um, Revelation 21.16. This is a vision that shows the full number. This second part is the vision that shows the full number that is not actually countable of the 144,000 that includes those who were once excluded. Let me say that again because it's a little bit complicated. This second vision in the second section is a vision that shows the full number of those who are counted as 144,000, but now it's not countable. So it's the same group represented by the true and spiritual Israel of 144,000 now is demonstrated as a multitude that no one could number, it says. It says it's a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, And here's that key word again, standing. Standing. These are the people who stand. 
The people who persevere are the ones who stand, answering the question in chapter 6. Those who stand are from every nation, all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And this is how we know it's a heavenly vision. This is showing the redeemed in the new heaven and the new earth with God because they're before the throne and before the Lamb, it says. So this is the heavenly vision. It says they are clothed in white robes. That's a symbol of purity. It says they have palm branches in their hands. That's a symbol of victory. Uh, it's a way of saying that earthly trials are now over. That's why we know this is also a heavenly vision. And verse 10, they are crying out with a loud voice singing or crying out salvation belongs to our god who sits on the throne and to the lamb this is the new song the new song is salvation belongs to our god so this is a picture of worship this is a picture of worship it's also a picture that until he comes to take us home the song of our lives should be that salvation belongs to god salvation belongs to god it's his deal. It's his thing. It's he who makes it accessible to us in the first place. If your life doesn't show that salvation comes from God, then be worried because you may not be part of this heavenly vision. Keep reading verse 11. It says, And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne, it's a sign of humility, of being prostrate before God, before the throne, and worship God, verse 12, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. As we've said before, there are seven of them listed here. In other words, all of the praise is God's. Verse 13, Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Sit, pause for a second. It says, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. The fact that it says the great tribulation doesn't mean this is something different than what I've already identified as the suffering and pain of saints for all time. Uh, the same phrase about great tribulation uh, occurs only one time in the New Testament outside of Revelation, and it's in Matthew 24. So whatever you want to believe about this word tribulation in Revelation, don't believe it without reading what Jesus says in Matthew 24. Uh, and read all of Matthew 24, not just the end where it uses the phrase great tribulation in verse 21. Uh, before you decide anything, make sure you read and understand Matthew 24. Long story short, those who remain loyal to Christ through the tribulation of life are standing in robes made white by the blood of the Lamb. One of the reasons we know that tribulation here refers to suffering in life now is that only those who are faithful in Christ in verses 3 to 8 become the multitude in verses 9 through 14. I think one of the lessons of Revelation is that tribulation trials come to us under each and every pressure 
to compromise one's faith. Tribulation is each and every pressure to compromise one's faith. And it only comes in the lives of those who demonstrate faithful witness to Jesus. Tribulation is each and every compromise of one's faith. It's that pressure to not have faith in the blood of the Lamb alone. And tribulation comes only in the lives of those who demonstrate faithful witness to Jesus. That's why some of you may not know that pressure. You may not feel the weight of that tribulation because it comes when you demonstrate faithful witness. Which is to say, I worry if you aren't fighting a spiritual battle. Some of us aren't even fighting spiritual warfare. Which is to say, you hardly know what I'm talking about when I say that tribulation comes when faith is tested. One of the messages of Revelation is get in the right battle. Fight the right fight. As a remedy to the suffering and pain of a battle that we feel that has spiritual weight come verses 15 through 17. These are beautiful verses. Worthy of being held close during hard times as a reward for faithfulness. These verses employ a bunch of images from Isaiah. Look those up later. They're listed there. It says this, Therefore, in other words, for the reason that they have steadfast faith, therefore, They are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them. Them is those coming out of the tribulation who have fought the spiritual fight. He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. This is a vision of what it's like to be free from sin in totality because we are around the throne of God. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Friends, may we be found in that final scene. Enjoying perfect relationship with God when suffering is gone. And may that vision of eternity with God around the throne give you hope and faith and courage as you're fighting the battles 